It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. Yeah. And I can lead the way. Hey there, welcome to Time Out with Ty, episode 18. This is the less official podcast of Behind the Buck Pass. We're back for our second episode this week, which is rare, but also a lot of fun. And I wanted to get two great guests this week. I got Georgie the Greek up first, so that's that's one for one. We're now two for two, as I got maybe the hardest working guy in the entire fan-sided network. That's that's saying something. <laughs> that I think it might be true. He'll probably deny it because he's also very modest. We have my boss, so this will be interesting, Gerald Borgay on the show. Welcome to the show, How Gerald. How you doing, Ty? I'm good. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing pretty pretty good, just uh, getting used to the warm weather out here. It's just past February, and it's already in the 90s, so good times down in Phoenix. Oh, it's right now in Oshkosh. It is 30, so there's a little bit oh. of a... A little bit of a, a – I have some weather envy right now, but I'll, I'll try to get over that. <laughs> the Milwaukee Bucks have been one of the weirdest teams probably to to cover. I mean, both from people who cover the team every day and I'm, I'm guessing from people on the outside looking in. Some people had the Bucks as high as second or third in the East before the season. They are around that far from the bottom right now. What were your thoughts on Milwaukee going into the season? And basically, like, what do you think happened? I had them pegged as around a sixth seed heading into the season. I was really happy for them when they got Greg Monroe. Um, I thought that was a great signing for them. Um, And I was a little concerned about the defensive end. But, you know, I figured with as stingy as Milwaukee's defense was the year before, I didn't think it'd be a problem. Uh, Turns out it was a problem. And not just because of Monroe, losing the veterans uh, like Jared Dudley and Zaza obviously hurt, but uh, they definitely failed to live up to expectations this season. And there's been a lot of reasons why, which I'm I'm sure you would love to go into detail about. Well, yeah, you nailed it. A lot of people who observe from outside put maybe too much of the blame on Greg Monroe. Mm-hmm. Where he's he's no great defender. We all knew that going in. No one no one's gonna argue that Greg Monroe should be on the all defensive team. He should not be. <laughs> yeah, we, the the veterans were lost and that hurt. The other thing was, and it, it's kind of rough to say because everyone loves him and he's been really great recently. But Jabari Parker's just not a good defender, and mm-hmm. he was out almost all last season. It, I mean, it's easier when you have a good defender. I mean, obviously, if you have good defenders, it's easier to play good team defense. But if you replace a good defender with just an absolute turnstile like Jabari can be at times, I mean, it hurts. It's hard to overcome. So you go from a good defender in Zaza to uh, Greg Monroe, who's not a good defender. A good defender, I, I mean, an okay, I guess, defender in Ersan. I mean, Ersan Ilyasova is not exactly, you know, Tim Duncan out there, but he, right. he knew the system and everything. And then you replace that with Jabari. Uh, it just, it all fell apart. There's not the veteran leadership. The bench is a lot worse this year. Um, I mean, right now, Greg Monroe's on the bench, so it kind of artificially boosts it. But mm-hmm. aside from him, that's it's Jared Bayless, and that's about all that's getting minutes right now. So that's not good for the long-term uh, right. future of the team. Now, because, I, I, I mean, guys I, are just playing too many minutes. 
Right. I have to ask you about that Monroe to the bench move. Do you, he's one of the biggest free agency signings in franchise history. And in, you know, halfway through his first season, he's coming off the bench, but it's working as far as the defensive end, the young guys are getting plenty of shots. Do you like this move or are you more concerned about how Jason Kidd handles it going forward? Honestly, I would have liked the move better if they just traded him. It seems like, I mean, the benching, it kind of makes it out. Like, he doesn't fit. I mean, I think we all knew it from, I mean, some people realized it earlier. Uh, Adam McGee was one of the first, I think. And I, I gave him a lot of flack for it early, but he was right. He doesn't fit with the team. So why why not? Just, I mean, why? It doesn't, it's, look, I think it's if you have him and you just assume you have to have him, I, he work, makes more sense off the bench. Because mm-hmm. I mean, Miles My- Plumlee is no great player. He's he's serviceable. I mean, <laughs> he proved that on the Suns a few years ago. But he's he's not great. Yeah. He just fits better because he's not slow and lethargic, and he knows what to do on defense, and he knows how to jump. Greg Monroe doesn't even dunk the basketball on offense. He never jumps. It's so weird. No, I didn't might, like. I didn't. I didn't know that about him going in. He might be the most flat-footed player in the NBA. <laughs> it's bad. He, he might be. I think Zaza's first, but he might be second. The Bucks switched like one for two. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's too bad because Zaza actually managed to, you know, be a good defender. But I don't know. It's just it's interesting to me because it feels like I don't know. Like there was so much momentum after that Monroe signing, and to the fact that he was on the trade block that soon afterwards. I mean, it's kind of it's got to be a little depressing, right? I mean, absolutely. But <laughs> at the same time, you got to sit back and look at it as, I guess, from just like a pure asset point of view. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you can sign a guy and then trade him for something, you didn't really give anything up per se. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they traded some players to make room for him. But really, I mean, you sign a guy, it's not like they, they use the draft pick on him. If you can sign a guy and flip him for a good asset, it's it's not the end of the world. It's depressing that, yeah, it was probably the biggest free agency signing in franchise history, and they they mm-hmm. kind of just got to they got to get rid of him now. He's super unhappy. It it feels like right now, he refused high fives mm-hmm. at the free throw line last night. He him and Chris Middleton got bad. a shouting match. That was horrible. I wrote a piece on that. Yeah. You, you don't you don't not give fives at the free throw line. No, I mean, Chris Middleton had to, like, demand it from him. And even then, Monroe just kind of, like, flipped his hand up, like, yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah, it was so – Is it, was that was that a worse chemistry moment than you saw firsthand in Phoenix with Markeith Morris? <laughs> um, I don't know if it was that bad. I, I, saw the, I saw their shouting match. I saw the missed high five. But the thing that happened between uh, Markeith Morris and Archie Goodwin – I mean that that just went viral right away, and it, was, it wasn't. It, wait, can we clear this up? It wasn't actually a choke, is what no, I heard from no. you and I think Michael. No, and that's the horrible thing is people take screenshots and then can label them whatever they want. You know, like, right? I should go and uh, have my friend take a picture of me jumping towards the rim and tell everybody that I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you. I, he shoved him, and he Archie was standing up suddenly, so he caught him in the throat when he shoved him. And that's right. how it turned into a choke. But that was that was probably worse. Um, I didn't see when he threw the towel at Markeith Morris. Um, there were only a couple of eyewitnesses that saw that from behind the bench. But um, that I mean, it is it, you never want to be having a conversation like 
is this that happened to my team as bad as what happened? Because <laughs> the moment you're there, your your season might be lost. Yeah, it's it's not been good for either franchise. I was sad. Brandon Knight didn't play that well in Phoenix. I'm really upset about that. I'm a huge Brandon Knight fan, if you didn't know. No, and that's that's the thing that I want to ask you is that now – Okay, so you did. You guys didn't have to like make a lot of trades or give up any assets to sign Greg Monroe, but you know the trade deadline before that, you guys traded Brandon Knight in that three-team deal that's worked out well for nobody. Yeah, well, except Philly, I uh, guess. Uh, yeah, except for Philly, <laughs> and God, if Philly's winning trades like that, that anyway. But my <laughs> my question for you is by bringing on by trading Knight and not overpaying him the summer and restricted free agency and then signing Monroe, would you have rather them just kept him, not trade for MCW and just kind of averted this whole Monroe thing? I know hindsight's 2020, but it it feels like Milwaukee was the only place in his career that Brandon Knight worked out well. Yeah, it did feel like that. The the one thing is, and I, I think Brandon Knight, if you put him in the right situation, he can be good. Mm-hmm. They didn't want Brandon Knight to lead the team in touches, which makes sense considering you see how good the offense is right now. Mm-hmm. When basically all Kid did is he put in Miles Plumley and OJ Mayo, mm-hmm. who aren't starting because they're good. They're starting because they don't use touches. Right. So essentially it's like if, if Chris, Giannis, and Jabari, the big three in Milwaukee basically at this point, if, if they don't create offense, no one will. So it's it's pretty much just the, the burden's thrown on them. That's part of the reason that Knight was jettisoned for MCW. But I mean, I, I feel like guys are more coachable than a lot of people in Milwaukee make it sound like. Mm-hmm. Like the big stink over bringing in, uh, over getting rid of Knight, I mean, was that, you know, oh, he uses too many possessions. Just like tell him to stop using possessions. Like, <laughs> coach him, take the ball out of his hands. Right. Like, like, if you want Giannis to be the point guard, just let Giannis run the offense and say, all right, Brandon, you're good at scoring, but we don't want to go to you every possession. You're going to stand over here in the corner and, and run on screens and stuff sometimes. The, the Bucks don't really seem to do that well. It's like, all right, you don't fit, you're out. You're, you're getting traded, you're done. MCW almost got traded, except he has zero value. I don't know what franchise really wants Brandon Knight outside of maybe Brooklyn, I guess. Yeah. Or not Brandon Knight, uh, MCW, I mean. Franchises probably want Brandon Knight, but he's hurt at the moment, I believe. Right, he is. And he should be – well, I mean, they keep saying he's going to be back soon, but with season, with the season taking a turn for, gosh, I hope we get a top two pick, I yeah. don't know if he'll be back. Um, but I, I really do think that trade is going to be interesting to look at next year and a few years down the road just because there were so many young players involved and it's sort of altered the course of, of both the Suns and the Bucks, and possibly the Sixers if the Lakers pick falls out the top three this year. So I, I feel like Brandon Knight would have sort of hindered that process that you're talking about with Milwaukee's new big three getting those touches and getting that offense because he's, you know, he's kind of said a few times, like, I want the ball in my hands. He wants to, right. he wants to be the guy. And, you know, I can't blame him for that. I like his confidence. But um, I, I really did enjoy that other night when all three went off. You know, Jabari dropped 36 and Giannis oh. triple-double. I mean, that was that had to be nice for you guys to watch. 
it was it was honestly it was catharsis. This has been a tough season. Um, I, I expected I think like four or fifth seed, and expecting that was maybe a little foolish. But I mean, there were there were reasons for it. And then, I mean, I vividly remember I was with my cousin like the day after they signed Greg Monroe, and we were talking, and it was like, I don't see why they can't be the second best team in the East now. And you just look back like, oh. <laughs> nope, there's, there's, there's more to it. There's more to it than that, like, three-month younger tie. Yeah. But uh, it's it's been a tough season. Seeing stuff like that makes it all worth it, though, because, I mean, these guys are, like, 19, 20, and 22 or 23 or something like that. You know in three years when all of them will still be bucks, they're going to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. It's all about just putting pieces around them at this point. It's it's It makes things a lot more palatable. It, it, I'm guessing it's harder to be – a fan of the the Suns right now, where they're sort of just in a weird place. Yeah, they are. I mean, I this is my first full season covering the NBA, um, as far as going to the Suns games and stuff like that. Right. Uh, I did it for half the season last year, and I <laughs> I can't help but feel responsible as some sort of bad luck charm because right when I started covering them last <laughs> season is when they started going downhill. And then this season is arguably their worst in franchise history. They may not have the worst record. Uh, the inaugural team went like 16 and 66 or something like that. But this is this team was supposed, like you said, coming into the season, you have these expectations. Like, I don't see why they can't be the seventh or the eighth seed in the West. And if you'd have told me how slow the West would have started before the season, I would have said, hey, they can get like a five seed maybe, something like that. Exactly. It hurts for the teams like the Suns and the West and the Kings just because like the bottom is super open right now. Mm-hmm. And right. these teams that were like expected to be there are, are not. Right. And it's, it's weird. I mean, obviously the injuries played a part. Like as soon as Bledsoe was injured, the season was over. You know, he's yeah. – the best player by far turning the offense over to Brandon Knight has been a disaster. And then he got hurt and TJ Warren got hurt. And, you know, then you trade Markeith Morris away. So that's their top four scorers on the season right there. So obviously it's going to be rough, but um, you know, even before Bledsoe's injury, they were heading in a very scary direction as far as, you know, the locker room mentality and the atmosphere. Like it was just not, a pleasant situation to be a part of really. Uh, it must've been something else covering that team when, you know, Markeith asked for the trade in the summer and basically demands it. And Ryan McDonough just like, doesn't do it. And everyone just going into the season is like, how, how is this going to be a thing? Are they going to explode? They kind of do. What was that like to cover? I mean, it was interesting because as, as someone who covers the team and, and sees, you know, these executives like McDonough or the coach Hornacek or these players in practice, you know, you have to be as objective as possible just because, you know, you, your, your sole job is your sole commitment is to telling the truth. But at the same time, you also have to recognize that if you get a little too carried away with how true you are, <laughs> tell the truth a little too strongly you're going to damage those relationships with the sources that you're, that you need to do your job. So there's a balance there. And it was, it's hard because everyone knows that Markeith Morris needed to be traded, but at the same time, you can see why McDonough didn't do it because his value had never been lower at that point. 
Um, he wasn't, McDonough doesn't deal with depreciating assets. He doesn't take L's on trades very often. If he's, if he sees a trade, he's confident that he is getting the better end of the bargain, whether he's right or not, that is up in the air sometimes. But it was, it was really interesting because on media day, he comes in and says the exact opposite of everything he'd been saying all summer long. <laughs> and we're just sitting there. We're trying to ask for more details. And he, he just said, I said what I said. I want to be here. And it was, it was a very blatant attempt to boost his trade value. But then he was horrible to start the season. <laughs> even worse. And then he gets benched. And then the towel throwing thing, he gets suspended. The Archie Goodwin shoving match. I mean, it was just a whole ordeal it's been it's been an interesting cover that's for sure yeah i'm i'm sure it has been i will say that uh, i thought mcdonough got a big w for the the morris trade because i remember back in december zach Lowe had wrote from taking his temperature around the nba mm-hmm. if the Suns wanted to offload markeith morris they'd have to throw in someone like archie goodwin right which the fact that that guy got named is kind of hilarious considering that they fought later I don't think I don't think any teams want the two guys that fought in the same trade, but anyway. But and the fact that he managed to wait until the deadline and then somehow find a team more desperate than Phoenix was, because you gotta imagine like McDonough probably really wanted to move Morris for a while. Since oh. the summer, probably. Oh yeah. He and was he ma- he manages to wait. Yeah, and gets a first round pick and Sort of an NBA player in DeWare Blonde. Yeah, DeWan Blair. I I reversed the letters. (laughs) He gets sort of an NBA player with no ACLs, and he gets like kind of an NBA player in Chris Humphreys. Those two guys don't matter. He got a first-round pick for Markeith Morris. Right. I mean, he – a lot of people were hoping he'd be able to swing Tyson Chandler somehow. A lot of people were hoping that maybe Brandon Knight would be swung just because of how well Devin Booker has played. Um, until he hit the rookie wall recently. But, uh, yeah. yeah, getting a first-round pick out of Markeith Morris is, you know, best-case scenario at that point, especially since it was the game before their last game, heading into All-Star Weekend, was the game when he shoved Archie Goodwin. Like, you cannot <laughs> – it's literally like Markeith were hours away from getting you traded, getting this divorce that both sides <laughs> And that happens. And and that's the funny thing is with Archie Goodwin, Archie has been one of his strongest supporters and like little brother in the locker room. So it was uh it was just another moment in this wonderful sun season, basically. They they just add up sometimes. They really, I like that trade. No, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I I was gonna say they really do. And and even though, you know, both the players that the Suns acquired in the deal were were waived eventually. And then Humphreys was bought out. Um, you know, neither one of them was going to be intrinsic. And at this point, the Suns could have three, well, they most likely will have three first rounders in this year's draft. They've got a 19 year old rookie who's playing pretty well. Um, and a bunch of young guys, you know, so I think we might see them commit to a, a full on youth movement, but it's just going to depend on what McDonough can do with those assets. Right, that's what I was going to say. They have three first-round picks coming on, depending on that Washington protection. Two in the lottery, potentially. So that's a, I mean, that's a good little draft right there. You add that to Devin Booker, who, as you said, hit a wall, but that kid can shoot, and yep. that kid can score. 
you can. And, and that's <laughs> Devin Booker has been like the only thing that's keeping Suns fans off of suicide watch this season. <laughs> this guy, he's so he's really mature and he's down to earth. He's just a very likable person, which is something the Suns locker room has not had. Like there's, there haven't been <laughs> like Bledsoe's a very great player, but he's not, he doesn't really connect with fans. He's kind of soft spoken. Um, and and the fact that this kid is coming in here at 19 years old, youngest player in the league, and trying to lead by example, um, you know that and that that's a testament to McDonough's real strength, which is drafting. You know he he's made a lot of good trades, that, but some a lot of them haven't worked out just from a personnel standpoint. Like the Isaiah Thomas trade, in a nutshell, great trade personnel wise. It you know alienated Goran Dragic and eventually sent him away. So he's been very good in the draft over his last three years. And I think if he commits to that path, the Suns will be in a good place moving forward. Do you think they're going to have to trade one or both of these big name point guards that they have right now? And uh, Bledsoe and Knight? Yes, at some point. I don't know how soon. Um, I think they would probably prioritize Bledsoe over Knight just because Knight has been a terrible defender this year. Um but I, I think at some point it's too early to say that Booker has made Brandon Knight expendable because you know you you look at how well he's played he's a terrible defender too as a rookie <laughs> um, you, you know he's not busting down Brandon Knight's door if Brandon Knight's healthy but at some point in time that's going to happen um, you know he's experiencing this trial by fire and I think the Suns would be wise to move Knight as soon as they can get his trade value back up again. One, I'm just, I'm bombarding you with Phoenix questions right now. I hope that's no, no, okay. No. This is good. I, I rarely get a chance to share my depression with the world. So this is good. <laughs> um, I know how you feel about that, except I get like two chances a week. It's very, it's very nice to just let it all out sometimes. <laughs> I saw you wrote about this, I believe, in a very good piece just a day or two ago. Alex Len is starting to really come on for yeah. the Suns. Tell me yeah. about Alex Len. All I know him as is this giant person on 2K who's not very good on 2K. <laughs> yeah, he's um, – I mean, that's basically how you could describe him through his first two years in the league. Um, you know, as a rookie, he missed about half the season because uh, he had those ankle surgeries, and then he had a knee injury. Um, and then his second season, he, he was the starter and he kind of took his, his licks, um, going, you know, replacing Miles Plumlee in the starting lineup. And he had a couple other injury problems. You know, he had a, he had a pinky injury. He had an, another two ankle sprains. He broke his nose near the end Ooh. of the season. So he missed like the last seven games or whatever it was. Um, he, he's, quickly developed a reputation as injury prone, which is not what you want to see from a top five pick. That's also a seven footer, but you know, the red flags kind of go up, but he's gotten a lot stronger. He hasn't missed many games due to injury this year. And uh, I really think every year with him, it's been some sort of obstacle that's been keeping him from sort of getting his name out there to the rest of the league. As a rookie, it was injuries as uh, in his second year, it was learning, adjusting to being a starter. And then this year, you know, Tyson Chandler comes in and, and steals a good portion of his minutes. 
But now that he's, you know, Earl Watson is all gung-ho about keeping him in the starting lineup the rest of the way, and he's been playing really well lately. You know, he's been putting up a couple monster double-doubles. Um, you know, the Twin Towers lineup is just bad. It's been outscored <laughs> by, like, 73 points in 100 and some minutes together. Like, it's just oh. – <laughs> It's a small sample size, but it's a bad small sample size. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Len is Len is the team's number one option right now just because Booker struggled so heavily with defenses kind of keying in on him for the first time in his career. So, um, Len, uh, yeah, Devin Booker's been the bright spot, but Len is is probably their best player right now. It's it's good that they have two young bright spots. It's morbid yes. that Alex Alex Len is the second best player on the team, I think. Yes, it is. It's it's horrible. I mean, before the, trade, <laughs> the week before the trade deadline, their best player was Markeith Morris, a guy who mailed it in for most of the first half of the season. And then the first game with Earl Watson in charge after Hornacek was fired, he comes out and drops like 30 and 15 or something like that. Like it was that was a that was a weird moment. Yes, and it and it was it was made even weirder because in the locker room they asked him about you know the coaching change. Obviously, this was his first good game in forever, and he was saying, "No, Jeff Hornacek was my guy. Like we were we were close. It wasn't anything about that." And I don't I don't think he is lying, but I, <laughs> I mean, come on, like let's not <laughs> <laughs> let's not do this. Let's not let's not go through this again, Keith. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I don't, a lot of people here in Phoenix hold a lot of things against Markeith Morris. And I think, I think both, I think faults were committed on both sides and it was time for them to split ways. But, you know, I, I would not be, you know, mad about seeing him playing well for Washington because he is a good player. I think he's a misunderstood individual um, and one who's made a lot of mistakes, but you know, it's, it's, he was he was the symbol of of this season basically. <laughs> yeah, for well, I would say for better or for worse. There's not really a better. I guess draft pick status. Maybe mm-hmm. if maybe, maybe the Suns sneak up and get Ben Simmons, then it's for better. Right, and that's that's what everyone in the Valley is basically crossing their fingers for at this point because Devin Booker is going to be a very good player. Um, I don't think the Clay Thompson comparisons are off basis at all. But, uh, you know, they still need that franchise star. They still don't have a face of the franchise. And that's what they need to find in the draft sooner or later. Yeah, they, they, they can't have Alex Len be their franchise guy. No, probably not. <laughs> he is a nice piece, though. Is, is Earl Watson still an interim tag head coach, or did they give him the full job? No, he's still the interim. And um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that because – uh, he started his interim coaching career 0-9 before getting his first win. And then they followed up that win with like a 30-point loss to Charlotte on the road. Oh. Um, he's not – he doesn't – I don't know if he has the tactical skills to be this coach. His biggest strength has been supporting the young guys. And he keeps using these words like love and nurturing and culture. And uh, he keeps – he refers to the team as a program like – <laughs> trying to build a program here and you know it, it's commendable that he's so dedicated to the guys in the locker room that he cares so much about them and that's what they need in a season like this but I don't boy if they keep him as head coach 
past this season, it's going to be a long time before the Suns are competitive again. This is something I've been wanting to talk about, and I'm glad I have you here to do it because you have a great grasp on the whole NBA. There's going to be like a, a frenzy in the coaching market this offseason. Mm-hmm. There are a lot. Of, well, we must be almost to 10 openings. Maybe yeah. not that. Maybe not that high, but there's a lot of interim or just like Byron Scott-esque they're going to get a new coach. <laughs> Guys around the NBA right now, you got to imagine Brooklyn, Los Angeles, maybe another Los Angeles team depending what happens with the Clippers. Uh-huh. The Suns, the the Rockets, maybe the Timberwolves, probably there's, and there's not that many really great candidates. I mean, there's Tibbs, who everyone likes to talk about. Outside mm-hmm. of Tibbs, I don't know. There's a sort of a lesser tier. It feels like. Yeah, I mean, everyone, most teams, if they want, it's it's tough because Tibbs is not exactly a coach you want to have in a rebuilding effort. Right. I feel like Tibbs is going to be like a – I don't know why Tibbs isn't already with the Rockets. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> – Tibbs and James Harden, that would be some sort of combination. Good Lord. Yeah, it would. It would. It could It could end up really well, though. Imagine, like, focus James Harden. He already plays enough minutes per game, so that's not going to be a, a negative of Tibbs. Right. And that's the thing that bothers me about James Harden, as a quick aside, is, is in OKC, when he was their sixth man, he was one of their, like – not go-to defenders, but he drew some of the tougher assignments. Yeah. Like, you know, he guarded Kobe in that in that series where they they beat the Lakers. And when he's locked in, he plays he plays defense like he's not in incapable. You know, but uh, but anyway, I think outside of Tibbs, there's let's see, there's Scott Brooks, there's um, Lionel Holland hasn't been picked up yet. There's uh Are we expecting Lionel Hollins to command a head coaching job this summer? Probably not. I don't, I, I don't I think he's too old school. I don't think teams are looking for that old school kind of guy anymore. No. And he and he flamed out in Brooklyn really fast, which yeah. is you know, not his fault given the talent. I mean Jarrett Jack's your starting point guard, what are you gonna do with that? I, I will say though, they the team from what I've read seems like way happier now. Yeah. They do, like, and they've. I think they've been a little better on the court. I'm not positive, but they've they've been happier now. I think that's important. Is if you, even, I mean, they maybe they don't deserve to be like over the moon happy every day. They're not good, but I mean, it's it's the NBA. You can't have your guys feeling bad. They won't win that often. That's just how it works. No, and and it. I I really do think this might be reaching a little bit, but I really do think part of that has to do with um, the. What uh, I think Amin El Hassan of ESPN refers to as the decimation of the league by the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Like, it's just, if you can't, like, no one is in their tier. So, unless you're a contender like the Spurs, Thunder, Cavs, or maybe Clippers, like, the rest of your season is basically pointless. And the Raptors will throw them in there too. Yeah, let's, let's just be nice to Toronto. One. Yeah, I, I really do think at this point they might give Cleveland a run for their money. I do too. I I think I think like you said is true. Every podcast gets to the Warriors and I just, I'm fine with it. I mean, it makes sense. They're, they're the story. I mean, they might be the best regular season team ever. Of course, we're going to talk about them. Right. And I, I really, I don't know. It's just, if you're not in that group of six or seven teams, that's hoping for some sort of, you know, good luck break in the playoffs. Your season is basically all about getting ready for next season, you know, putting yourself on the right track so that one day when the Warriors are dead, you might have a chance <laughs> of winning a championship. 
And it's, it, and like you said, having a happy team, having a good culture and environment with the right head coach is very important to doing that. Um, the Nets are kind of just an odd, really depressing situation because of their lack of draft picks. It's, it's not good. No, it's terrible. <laughs> I was looking, I mean, the next Star Wars is going to come out before they oh, have a no. first round draft pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think Sean Marks, I, I like their new GM and Sean Marks. I listened yes. to the, the vertical podcast with him and Woj. It was really good. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to get themselves a pick or two this off season. I, certainly, I, I, I don't think they're going to keep dad and, and Brooke that much longer. No, I, I, I really think I thought that's what they should. <laughs> that's what they should have done at the trade deadline, except their owner hired the GM on the day of the trade. Deadline. Exactly. He had no chance to do any. I mean, you can't just like walk in. He probably didn't even get to Brooklyn until afterward, unless he was there from the interview. No, so it's I've, like you, you pretty much just like made him wait until the off season. You can't trade someone if you're a GM for two hours. You're gonna get a bad trade. Oh, he was probably setting up his voicemail by the time the trade deadline was ending. <laughs> yeah. Luckily for him, it was probably he probably didn't miss any messages. I don't think many teams were calling up Brooklyn. No, and that's and that's what's too bad is you know I think last year Brook Lopez was a name that was floating around. Um, I remember OKC was supposed yeah, to. Yeah, the the Thunder rumors were huge. I thought that would have been a great trade for them, but uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate for Brooklyn, but I think they'll find someone willing to take on Brooke Lopez at some point. And Thaddeus Young is also a very underrated player who could do, he would do well in the right, on the right team. Um, But it's just, I, I feel like every team this summer, going back to the head coaching thing should be chasing Tom Thibodeau and you know, I, I think Scott Brooks would be. I'm hoping that Scott Brooks is the hire that Phoenix chooses, just because he is the kind of developmental coach for yeah, these exactly. guys. He did really well with that in OKC, and that's basically what the Suns are right now. You know, they don't have a Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook, but you know, same type of vibes. And uh, I think, boy, I, I really think. Luke Walton is going to be an interesting name that's floating around. What What do you think about his potential as a head coach? You know, I don't – here's the thing is if you asked me this, I don't know, like a year or two ago, I'd, I'd kind of just like like chortle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, look, I think Steve Kerr got some coaching stuff from Pop because he never coached under him, but he did play under him. Mm-hmm. And you can see that uh, – I wrote about this today for Hoops Habit. Like Kerr and Pop are two of the most – rest prone coaches they they rest their players mm-hmm. uh last year especially for the dubs but even this year curry only plays 34 minutes a game right they, they don't they don't play him too often that's been up because they played some overtime crazy games recently mm-hmm. but they, they both rest i think that helps walton too because it's like not really under the pop tree because i mean uh steve curry never coached under him mm-hmm. but he picked up some of those things and that's how coaching works i mean the best coaches usually come from those trees. Like you look at Coach Bud, Coach Budenholzer, I should say, over in Atlanta came from Pop. Mm-hmm. Quinn Snyder in Utah came from Budenholzer. Mm-hmm. So I think that works in Walton's favor. I, I don't know if I – I mean, it's so hard to tell, right? I mean, he coached the Warriors. Right. Like, Of, of course he's going to do well. I mean, if they did poorly, I don't think he'd ever get a head coaching job in his life. Right. It's, it's so hard to tell because you look at his interim record and it's like, that's not a real thing, but I mean, you can you can count it up, 
And it's like he went like, I don't know, like 30 and three or something, 30 and two, whatever it was before Kerr came back. Right. It's hard right. to not say, you know, oh, we'll give you our team because you clearly can win. I, I just, I don't know if I buy him as a legit head coach. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, like even before this season, if someone had said, you know, Luke Walton head coach, I would have just died laughing. Like I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't have taken that seriously at all. And you look at what he did with the Warriors. I mean, obviously he has as much talent as anyone in the league, but just the fact that he was able to carry on that same culture, that same happy, carefree style that they play. I mean, that's, that's not something you can take to another roster and just duplicate it, but it is encouraging that he was able to carry it on and he's definitely going to take a lot of important lessons with him wherever he ends up because someone's going to scoop him up. Um, and, and it's funny that you bring up the, the head coaching tree of pop because it has just been so much more successful than Phil Jackson's tree of disciple. <laughs> yeah. It's been night and day, night and day. <laughs> I mean, you look at what Kurt Rambis is doing with the Knicks, oh. <laughs> riding no into the ground every night for no reason, and it's it's something else. Yeah, Kurt Rambis is just. I mean, I would have. They should have just kept D Fish. If we're being real here, like, come on, like D Fish had some potential. People yeah. I know who watched the Knicks, they said, you know, there were a lot of D Fish jokes when he started because you know Kurt did so well, and D Fish mm. did the the Knicks last year. But people were starting to come around on him. I feel like it was a weird time to fire him. Right. I mean, he was he was getting better with some of his like questionable rotations, um, and then they went through that losing skid, and then that was time for him to go. But I don't know. It was just <laughs> it's just been bad. As far, my favorite part of the whole Kurt Rambis saga so far was the uh, the pornographic tweet that he liked. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's Nick said he was hacked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if if I'm a hacker and I hack the Twitter account of a professional head coach. I, I'm, I'm not going to favorite I, one tweet. No, I'm not going to favorite one pornographic tweet and not tweet anything. <laughs> you know, like that's not going to be my mo as a hacker. <laughs> as as far as I know, he still follows an account called like Big Booty Girls or something. <laughs> like it's it's not a good cover. I guess the hacker got back in and made him follow one account. It's he obviously did that himself. Like that they they had to lie about it, but it was such an obvious lie from the onset. I remember when I saw that picture on Twitter, I just died laughing. Yes, I mean it's it's that's that's another <laughs> thing great about the NBA is NBA Twitter from the players to the journalists to the vines to everything. There's no professional sport that even comes close to comparing to NBA Twitter. No, just social media in general, I'd even say. Right. I mean, it's, it's so immersive and it's so like everyone knows everything and the players get in on it sometimes and the coaches have Twitter accounts. Like it's just, it makes the NBA that much more entertaining than it already was. I mean, have you seen uh, Adam Silver's Instagram account? That's interesting. <laughs> yes. I like his Instagram. It's just like random candid pictures of like whoever Adam Silver is around. They're all taken by him. He's confirmed that. So it's just like him taking pictures of guys talking, but it's interesting pictures of guys talking. Right. And it's, it's just, it's awesome that no other sport provides that kind of inside look at the NBA, the way that professional basketball does. Um, you know, teams have their own Snapchats now. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a lot of fun too. 
yeah, it's entertaining. And like, I've like, as, as someone who covers the team, like I, I, you know, I'm only friends with people that I'm friends with in real life on Snapchat. Um, I, I haven't, you know, liked any pornographic Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't pulled a Rambus, but um, you know, people are, are entertained by being able to see that, you know, just from port side, seeing someone, how they warm up and that, and that kind of stuff. Um, and that's something that's always kind of interested me, especially now that athletes are getting involved with Twitter and getting in trouble by it. Yeah. Like um, anytime LeBron tweets anything semi-cryptic, it's taken as, oh, he wants Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving traded. Yeah. But even even the podcast game, J.J. Redick has a podcast he does in season, which to me is just like ridiculous. Like I, I barely have time to do these podcasts, and I'm a student. He's right. an NBA player who starts on a, a really good team, and he's right. going to do podcasts. And, oh, Jared Dudley went on a fan-sided podcast this week. Did he really? Which one? Uh, over at Wizard of Oz. Oh, very nice. Yeah, they got Jared Dudley, and it's just like that's like I, – I, I don't maybe it's just because we cover the sport more closely, but I, I cover football too. I just don't see that kind of thing like in the NFL. Like the NBA is just like you said, so open. It is. It's it's very. They do a really good job. Well, most teams do a really good job with their PR, and you know, if if you're capable, if you're professional, um, you know, they'll they'll respect your right to access most of the time. Um, and and that's what's funny is you see these relationships developing like um, with what was happening between ESPN's uh, Ethan Strauss and Draymond Green earlier today. I don't know. If um, you saw. I I didn't see the one today. I've seen some stuff before. Yeah, I mean it's it's funny because Strauss had written something today uh, with Royce Young, who covers the Thunder, about the last time they played that overtime game and Draymond Green's shouting match during halftime. Oh yeah. And uh, he had written that, you know, the discontent with Green had kind of been simmering for a while uh, about his his shooting. And then it blew up, and it's something that the team not needs to worry about, but it's something they should keep an eye on. And so he, his mentions were blowing up, of course, like, why are you trying to incite drama in a 54-5 and five team? Yeah. And then Draymond Green gets in on it, and he, like, at – he at mentions him and he's like, tell uh, Ethan Strauss, if he wants page views to stop using my name, now I'm going to go take a nap or something like that. (laughs) It's just, it's that kind of playful banter that you don't see in other sports. Yeah. As far as I know, I think it's Strauss and Leandro Barbosa. No. um, What is their, Oh, he had the big dunk. I, for some reason, I always get him and Barbosa confused. They're uh, the 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 Warriors like stretch four kind of guy. Stretch four. Um, oh, how could I not remember his name right now? Are you talking off the bench or? Yeah, off the bench. Uh, Mo Spates. Yes, I don't know why I get Barbosa and Mo Spates confused. They, I have no idea, but I do. Mo Spates like at uh, Strauss all the time. It's either him or Barbosa. And they just talk trash to each other like <laughs> all the time. I saw this on Reddit somewhere, and they had some tweets linked. I, I can't remember if it was Barbosa. I think it was actually Barbosa. But yeah. he just added Strauss out of nowhere and like was like just talking like random trash to him. And apparently, that's just something they do. Like You just don't see that in the NFL. 
No, and, and that's awesome. That's one thing I do like about the Warriors is that they recognize. I mean, it's easy to be cool with the media when your team is, you know, on a historic win pace. But even yeah. last season when they were starting to all come together, they were a group of fun-loving guys who recognize that you know the journos they don't try to most of the the good ones at least they don't try to yeah. things up they don't try to create drama they just report what they see and these guys recognize that and they're they, it's it's awesome that they're able to develop a relationship even on the rare occasions when they have to write something bad about them like in the Suns locker room, it was not like that at all. <laughs> but, uh, well, it could be worse. I, I want to say, and I've never, I've never been like a, a press pass. I've never gotten a press pass mm-hmm. or been there. I just, I speculate wildly on things for fun. But right. from what, I, from what I've read, the Thunder are basically like the Kremlin. Is if you go in and try to talk to the Thunder players, is that have you covered when the Thunder are in town? I have, and I went into the uh the thunder locker room to give it a try and it wasn't it wasn't that bad i remember reading a piece i can't remember if it was on grantland or where it was but i remember reading that same piece that you're probably talking about yeah about how the thunder were their pr people are very uh meticulous with making sure that their players don't say the wrong thing or it you know they're limited access right and, um I think they have painted the media as this. I, I hate it when people blame things on the media. Yeah, like, the media in quotes. Like you can't. Like they just group. The media has become this body, this horrible <laughs> thing that's distant and intangible, and it's it's really not. It's made up a group of people that are just trying to do their jobs and report on what they see. Like, and it's sports. That's what kills me. Is that like it's the least intense form of <laughs> yeah, that there is. Like we're reporting on games and other people are reporting on politics and war and all this stuff. Yeah, actually, crime. Right. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't that bad just because they had a, it was a huge media scrum. So it wasn't like, you know, I didn't even get to ask a question cause I was near the back cause there were so many people for a big team like that. But, yeah. um, but you know, it's, it's, it's just an interesting dynamic with them. Um, I really do think that Westbrook and Durant would be uh, different towards the media. Maybe if, if their PR team wasn't so dead set on painting us as the villains, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's Durant is, but Westbrook from what I, from what I've heard is sort of like, okay with the media, nothing crazy. Durant is really the one. And the, the Stephen A. Smith thing, I guess, exacerbated that a little bit. Right. That was that was something to to behold. I just this hilarious picture I got I saw on Twitter the other day. It's like making fun of quote unquote the media. Mm-hmm. They photoshopped a bunch like Zach Lowe, David Aldrich, and they, the Grizzlies thing that uh, Matt Moore has on his Twitter onto mm-hmm. a bunch of pictures of guys throwing Kings memorabilia in a fire. <laughs> over over the summer, the Kings the Kings people really felt like quote the media was beating them up and like targeting them. The thing that I've I've noticed typically is quote the media will get at your team if your team does dumb stuff. Right. Don't like do that's, dumb. that's don't do dumb stuff. <laughs> like, like it's that simple. If if our job is to report what we see and report on the team, like 
even even in this lost season, like there are reasons to be positive about the Phoenix Suns. They have draft picks. They have young players. Like you can find that with any team in the NBA. Like like you mentioned with the Nets, they have no draft picks until Star Wars Episode Thirty, but they have GM <laughs> who's going to try and get them some. Like you can find positives to draw on every team. But if you are so you know the media can only work with what you give them. So if you're not cooperative, you know if you treat them like crap they're not going to be as inclined to try and dig up the stories that you feel should be told. You know what I mean? Like it's, well, I mean they won't even have the chance to, if you're not given access. Right. It, it's a give and take. And I feel like a lot, it's unfortunate that so many players don't understand that in this league and the ones that do and the coaches that do, you know, those are the ones that, that typically have, you know, more positive things written about them. And it's not to sound like, you know, hey, if you give me cool stuff, I'll write good things about you. But it really just is about a matter of access and, and uh, you know, reliability. Uh, just going off what you were just saying, you can find positives. Even if the Nets were 15 D-League guys and they didn't have a draft pick until 2040. Like you said, we cover sports. Like this, it's the NBA. I mean – it's not like people are dying in Brooklyn because the Nets suck. I mean, even if they suck forever, they're they're getting paid millions of dollars to play basketball like every day. It's it's not that bad. I mean, there's never a reason to to act like you know we have to like cover something up. It's it's pro basketball, right? And it and it should be fun. And that's that's the thing that that kills me with with how intense the locker rooms get sometimes. Like I know. I know that losing a lot can take its toll. Like it, it just makes an unpleasant situation for, for players. Like nobody wants to be unhappy going to work every day, no matter how much. Right. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to take that long-term look like, okay, you know, I'm 25 years old. I get paid millions of dollars to play a game. Um, you know, I, I, it, it, it really just is this, this, identification of the media as as this faceless heartless machine when it's it's really just made up of individuals trying to do their job but you know i will say i I think it works both ways too i mean there are some members of quote the media who are just like glum and and crotchety it feels like sometimes right those people also need to step back and realize they're getting paid significantly less sure but yeah. getting paid to watch pro pro athletes play basketball, it's still not a bad gig. No, not at all. And <laughs> I, I feel, you know, I'm finally, last year was when I first cracked my way into, you know, the, the press badge life. And I'm covering the arguably the worst season in Suns, basket, in Suns franchise history. And I'm still excited every single day to, like, go in there and do my job on a part-time salary. Like, you know. <laughs> You got you to put your priorities in order. <laughs> exactly. Congratulations on being a press, being in the press badge life, by the way. That must be great. Thank you. It, it is, uh, it's, it's nice. And it's very, uh, it's very rewarding. And, and you learn so much just from every game. You learn so much about how to do the job and, and you know, making friends with people that I followed on Twitter in, in college. You know, it, it's kind of surreal at, as an experience just that these people are now your peers and stuff like that. But, uh, but one last thing before I go, I have to ask because, you know, I, I'm interested in this and I have to ask every person that I talk to about the NBA, do the golden state warriors get to 73 wins? 
Ooh, okay. Uh, I thought you were going to say repeat as champions. That would have been easier. <laughs> I think they're going to. I don't. I, I think they're going to be dumb about it and play guys too many minutes, and it might it might cost them a couple games in the playoffs because guys are going to be a little little tired. Mm. Uh, I think at this point, I mean, I don't care what Andrew Bogut says on the Bill Simmons podcast. They want it. They they want it so bad because yeah. all they heard the, this whole summer was the Warriors are lucky. You know, the Warriors, the NBA is weaker now. It's not the same. Curry wasn't the real MVP. It should have been Harden. Harden's the best player. They're on a rampage, and they absolutely want to get it. So they can definitively stick their finger on the record and say, look, we're the best ever. Stop talking about it. They might do it next year. They might get 74 next year if they get pissed off again this summer. (laughs) I think they do it. All right. I like that. I I think – my answer is a little more complicated. I think if they win tonight against OKC, if Curry plays, because I think he's still questionable last I checked, I yeah. think if they win tonight against OKC, I think they do it. And I think I, – I don't want to say this and then somebody gets hurt and it looks completely stupid, but I really do think that 16-0 and in the playoffs is not out of the question. Especially if the Spurs get knocked off by somebody like last year. Right. And I think even, I mean, you look at what they're doing now. They always get up for the big games. You saw how they they blew up the Cavs, the Spurs, and the Bulls in like a three or four game stretch by like 30. You give them a couple of days of rest in between. Oh, God, that's a scary team to play. Yeah, I mean, and then when every game is a big game. Yep. I'll, I'll never – my moment for them this season, and as a Bucks guy, you'd think it's when the Bucks beat them, but, like, from the Warriors' perspective, mm. they they beat Memphis by 50. Yeah. <laughs> 50 points. I remember Matt Moore after that, who's a Grizzlies fan at heart, just, mm. like, he, he was on Twitter for, like, a month. Like, I don't think they're going to lose this season because he had yeah. to watch that happen <laughs> to his team. Yep. They, they got 50 50-point 50 loss dropped on them. Yep. That was when I really took a step back and said they're crazy good. Like they're not going to lose often, right? And and they haven't at all. <laughs> like it's they've been they are literally it's watching greatness. It's witnessing history every single night that they play in some way. And and Curry is having as of right now the greatest season in NBA history, which is just absurd. Yeah, both by just watching it, and um, he's on pace to break Kareem's. Uh, win shares per 48 minutes record, which is pretty phenomenal. Right. And, you know, greatest player efficiency rating ever. He already broke his own single season three-point shooting record. Like, it's it's going to be amazing to watch his career unfold because he's, you know, even in his old age when he gets older and is no longer, you know, the alpha dog in the league, he's still going to be a spot-up shooter who can play wherever he wants, like Ray Allen yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say. His, I was gonna say the exact. His Ray Allen phase is gonna be impeccable. <laughs> yeah, we're we're all in Steph Curry's world now. We are living in Steph Curry's world, and I gotta say, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, I can't complain about our new Curry overlords. His his whole family is great. Like Aisha's great. Little mm-hmm. Riley's great. His I think he had just had a son. The son's gonna be super awesome. That's yep. like their their family rocks. I mean, Dell is pretty cool. Yep. It's Seth is cool. There they he's he's the number one person in sports that I think you want to be right now if you could be anybody. Yeah, he has nothing go people don't even hate him yet, really. No. Except for Oscar Robertson. 
Yeah, <laughs> old people hate him. Old people hate him, but the, the general old NBA players hate him, I should say. I got to ask my dad how he feels about him because, you know, parents who watched the NBA back in the day, it's it's just like Oscar. Like you know, Everyone back then was better. They, right. they weren't. Curry was Curry would be great without the three-point line. He would have just made the longest twos in history. <laughs> right. Exactly. But all right, thanks, Gerald, for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Anytime. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to get you back if I can, can afford to swing it. I'll have my people talk to your people about this. That sounds good. We should be able to work that out. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, I'll try to, try to raise your retainer on GoFundMe. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, I got to give some thanks to Joey Burbs. I made that sound like it was religious. Thanks, Joey Burbs. I don't give thanks to him, but who does the intro and outro music to this podcast? You can find his work at joeyburbs.com. It's good stuff. He's a talented musician, and he gave me the intro and outro music, so go give him a listen. Thanks one last time, Jailed, for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Ty. Yep. Have a great week, everybody.